Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford. I am coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it's a privilege to reach out to my congregation here in Dallas, as well as to our extended saints family so many places around the world. What a blessing God has given to us to have such a, a wonderful group of saints in so many different regions and countries and to have the privilege of being able to connect in this way and in so many others. You know, I know that you join with me in praying that our capacity to travel and to meet uh, openly will be restored very soon. In all honesty, I have missed being able to see uh, those of you who um, uh, are more remote from our location here in Dallas, and, and not only to see you, but to be able to embrace you and spend time together. Maybe maybe you didn't miss that as much as I did. Maybe you needed a bit of a break from me and from our Saints Network teams. I don't know. But may this year be an incredible time of breakthrough for the mission that God has given to us as saints. We're doing our best to continue to expand the way that we reach out. And I know that even though it's not the same as actually being on site, we're still able to connect in many different ways throughout the internet and throughout uh, Skyping, throughout Facebook, um, throughout Zoom meetings. And I, I pray that God will continue to give us insight as to how to, in better ways, represent his message and the responsibilities that we have throughout the world. That being said, I wanted to <clears throat> have the privilege of releasing this Wednesday Night Live on this morning prior to the midday inauguration that will be uh, held in Washington, D.C. If this was a more normal time where we would have our Wednesday evening gathering, our prayer time, and then our uh, meeting, and then prayer or whatever ministry would come, I would most likely be asking our congregation to pray We'd have a brief exhortation and then prayer, prayer for our country, prayer for the things that God would want to do in a new administration. And we would also be thanking and blessing the outgoing administration. But these are not normal times. However, I do believe that God wants us to pray today. So it's not my intention to speak for the full hour that we normally would speak, but 
I'm, I'm going to invite you to spend time praying, hopefully during the time of the inauguration. But let's go before the Lord and offer up our, our prayers and be sensitive to the Spirit and be alert to what our Father in heaven might require of us as intercessory partners. And let's believe that God is going to do something in this new year that will further his ability to use the saints and to develop outposts of the saints. I want to direct your attention to a passage of Scripture that I don't think we've ever spoken about. And it's in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. There is no teaching sheet today, so it would be frivolous for you to try to be searching for that. This is the scripture today, Philippians 1, verses 9 through 12. Now, Philippi was a very interesting city. It historically had significance. There was a major battle that was fought nearby, and it was, uh, it was a battle that was significant for the Roman Empire. Uh, this was a, a very f- a wealthy area. It was initially known for mining gold. And so uh, the people here were more, dare I say, um, cosmopolitan. They, they were hardworking people. This wasn't a philosophical center. But the people had... Um, they had the wherewithal to, to be able to exert themselves politically, materially. And Paul, the apostle, loved to, to be able to spend time with the Philippians. But we want to read uh, Philippians 1, verses 9 through 12, and then we'll talk about various aspects of this. This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. I want to explore this in, in two parts. The first part is what is said here in this 12th verse. And the second part has to do with what Paul was praying for these dear folks. And I find it fascinating that Paul would use this phrase translated loosely as fallen out um, in his discussions concerning the way God had used him and the things that had happened to his life. This in English might seem to be serendipitous, that you just don't know what's happening or what might happen 
Kesara, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. But the fallen out here is, uh, in the Greek, a way of saying that things that have happened, things that became our lot in life, it is, it is not by chance, it's by the directive of God, but yet totally unpredictable uh, by human assessment. And what does Paul say about this? He says that there are things that transpire that God used for the furtherance of the gospel and for the, for the overall good of what God has given to accomplish his will and his ways. And I think that the more I recognize what it means to be a saint and the more I understand things from his scripture and the way God wants his people to intercede uh, in accordance with supplication, it, it, the, more, the more we receive, the more we recognize that we're not in control. You know, God gives us astute understandings concerning how prayers function and what the objective is in partnering with God. With all of those things and with all of the insight and with all the, the pneumaticos processing, we then come to the understanding that there are some things that God gives us that we can speak and carry incredible clout and power, but there are other times he brings us up to that seeming starting gate, and then things happen in a way that none of us imagine. There's a way that seems right unto man. God's ways are not man's ways. All of those scriptures and more tell us that God is God has mysterious ways. And no matter how much we know, no matter how closely we are knit together with the throne of God, no matter how much we participate in the partnership of grace, no how much no matter how much we may learn about declaring or dare I say decreeing <laughs> God is still God and we we can't really predict what it is that he's going to do and we have insights we recognize trends we recognize his objectives his overall objectives but when it comes down to the, the, the specifics and the, the steps two or three yards ahead of us, we can't predict that. We, some of the greatest miracles God has worked in our walk as saints have been a result of things that in the natural seemed totally unimaginable. But yet when they happened, 
we repositioned ourselves, stayed under the covering of trust in God, and saw him work miracles. In fact, you speak about miracles, and we've talked about this in a number of ways in the past, but miracles seem to happen when it seems like when it seems like God has abandoned his people, that there is no way. And that feeling is a really alarming feeling in the life of the recipient of said miracles. Because it appears in every way, except for the fact that you know God is with you, and that's the main thing, but it appears in every way that you've been hung out to dry. And my phrase that I've said over and over again, everybody wants a miracle, they just don't want to be in a position to need one. And this is the way God is. And so when Paul says, the things that have fallen unto me are for the furtherance of the gospel, just that phrase itself shows that you really can't predict how God's going to do something. You might know the end result, the, the, the perspective of God, what he essentially is going to do, but the pathway of faith is not illuminated much more than the step ahead of you. <laughs> A lamp to feet, light to your path, it's kind of like when I'm walking through the dark. You know, at my house, I, I don't really turn a lot of lights on. I just don't. I like to navigate through my house, and I do it in the darkness because I remember where things are. It's a little bit difficult when the twins are around because they seem to have a way of readjusting pathways. But... If I am going someplace that I'm not familiar with, you know, I don't wear watches anymore. I probably will on trips just because I need to know what time it is to be able to negotiate timetables and to um, know where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be. But I have these Victorinox flashlight watches that I can push a button and I've got a little stream of light that helps me to know where I'm going but that doesn't shine very far and it's comforting but the path way ahead is not really illuminated and that's what God likes because if we know too much then we don't trust him we don't seek him. It's kind of like what God said about Israel in the promised land. You know, I'm not going to take away all the enemies because I don't want you to forget how to trust me and to war on behalf of righteousness. See, that's the problem with the church. We, we think, and this is what the general church teaches, Jesus paid it all. Well, soteriologically, yes, I agree with that. But they think that he's sitting in an easy chair in a lazy boy up by the, at the right hand of the throne. He's doing nothing. And we don't have to 
exert any effort. We just trust and obey. There's no other way. We're not fighting a good fight. All of that stuff is a remnant of the first century. And so we don't, we know everything. We have everything. So there's no pressing forward. And that's nonsense. That brings, as we heard in our Sunday school class this past Sunday, complacency. And that is the death knell of creativity. And so with that being said, God will give us everything we need to know, and we're secured in him. But there are things that God does that fall unto us. And we just have to maneuver as they come while yet trusting. And so I think on this inauguration day, a lot of crazy stuff that's being promulgated by people and we just need to <clears throat> excuse me draw back and know that whatever is happening is going to be used for the furtherance of our effectiveness in the gospel so leading into that what is paul praying verse 9 says i am for this I pray, this is prosukome, this is what God has revealed that Paul needs to be proclaiming, speaking forth, and asking for as a result of supplication partnership. Because deasis and prosukomai are partners in the New Testament. It's supplication and prayer from the Old Testament. <clears throat> and when you are yielding yourself to God in, in partnership in grace, then he reveals what he wants you to know, your perspective, and that's how you pray in English or whatever your Koine language is. That's your perspective. That's what you agree for. And so this is what Paul is saying here. For this I prosukamai. And he asks that agape, or the breathing heart after the purpose of God, would abound yet more and more in two things. In knowledge, that's gnosis, our, our general understandings, and in all judgment. Now, judgment here is the kicker. It's only used here in the whole New Testament. And it means to have discernment, to apply expert measures of experience. It means not just to have a boatload of knowledge, but to be able to apply it adroitly, expertly. And this is linked with agape. I'm telling you, saints, as I said, I've never preached on this or taught on this before, but I believe this is a rhema for us that we would have our agape, our pursuit of the, of the highest measure of wanting to fulfill the will of God and to be committed thusly. That's what charity, that's what agape is. That we would have that abounding and that we would not only have knowledge or gnosis or what fills our 
repertoire of understandings that we wouldn't have that only increased, but that we would have this measure of judgment applied. You know, I've known lots of different kinds of people in my life. You have too. And I've known some people that are really cranial. They are intelligent. But when it came to the real world, they don't have the sense God gave a monkey. Have you known anybody like that without being critical? You know, I call him another word. I, it begins with an S, S-T, and I won't say it because I know it's anathema in some of your households. But those people are that smart. And, you know, I've known people that can assess things. And they're just going on and on about it. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, this, that's really impressive. However, it's not going to work because of this. Or you're saying something that sounds really intelligent, but everybody in the room's just giggling because you don't understand that you're setting yourself up. You're, it's like you're putting a kick me sign on your back. And there are a lot of people like that who who have a lot of understanding, but they just are goofy when it comes to street smarts. And Paul is maybe not saying it in that exact same way, but he is praying. God has put it on his heart, given him a perspective to ask specifically that, that agape would increase and abound, and that through that, God would not only teach them of the pneumonicos principles, but give them some real pneumonicos street smarts that you don't make an idiot of yourself. In, in, now, there are times that you're fools for Christ's sake. The things that God asks you to do, you know going in that people aren't going to accept. But you do it anyway because it's what God said to do. Like Isaac, you, you could be mocked and laughed at and scorned. The very, the very essence of the miracle transformation in your life, which brought rejoicing on the other end, could bring ridicule. It's, it's interesting how that is. I remember when God called us to be saints and we became illumined concerning what God really wanted from his people based on the word. And I knew, I thought, this is the greatest gift God could ever give. After having been a Christian and after having been a pastor for decades, now I see things in his word that I've never seen before. And God turned the light on. And why wouldn't anybody want this? But then you recognize that that very gift from God was mocked by people who should readily have received it. The day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, fire on people's heads, amazing outpourings of the Spirit. But then there are those nearby that are mocking and calling you drunk and saying these people are crazy. Jesus' teaching in a, in a place that was filled with people, 
and his his own brethren and even the holy blessed virgin mary standing outside go get him bring him out here he's crazy this existemi that he's knowing we're deeming it to be lunacy and so there are times where god will ask us to do things and you know going in without being negative the people that i'm going to say this to they're going to think i'm nuts but it's those times that you have to be like the prophet you you ask god to make your forehead like a flint and you turn your face to the wall and you declare that's just the way it is i mean Sometimes Jesus was teaching, and he, the Bible says he knew their thoughts, but he kept on teaching anyway because their thoughts were disdain. I've had times, especially early on, when I would be preaching some of the bedrock principles and foundations that have become cherished by the saints around the world, I would be preaching them, and the Lord would be revealing to me what people across the sanctuary were were thinking. And and I made the mistake at the time of not calling people out individually, but saying, now, I know some of you were thinking this. <clears throat> and after a couple of weeks of that, I had folks who had been in the church for many years that I'd known for many years. They're saying, he's preaching at us. Well, I wasn't preaching at us. The Lord was revealing the secrets of their heart. But instead of falling on their face and saying, God is in you, and I'm going to join with the saints, they took umbrage and attacked. So there are some times that God calls you to, to speak the word, and you know good and well that without being negative or unbelieving, that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to say, I don't want to do this, so I'm going to call it nonsense. It's the strife and accusation that the two wells that Abraham and Isaac began with encountered. But this is saying something else. It's saying that as you move forward in agape, and I pray that we will have an inoculation of, a, of agape, a booster shot, a booster outpouring in the days that come. That we would, that our knowledge of the Lord and of his word would be increased, but that we would also have judgment in the midst of that agape. And again, this word translated as judgment is only used once in the whole New Testament. And it means to have a savvy, a discernment, to be as one who has experience, even though you may not have ever walked that pathway before. Only God can give that. And boy, oh boy, don't we need it today. Now, I, there's other things we're going to talk about here, but I step down and declare over you that God will increase our agape for him, because that's the greatest gift. And that we would be ignited with our desire to be with him and to do his will and to spend time before his throne. And that 
through that, God would increase our knowledge of him and our knowledge of the word. I will always want that. Uh, Throughout eternity, we want that. We need that. But here we add to it this capability through the Spirit to assess, to gain, I use these terms already, savvy, to have the ability to be as a trained veteran who, who this isn't your first rodeo, even though it may be in certain things. We need that. And this is what Paul was asking for. And then he says a result of it that you would approve those things that are excellent. And this is to approve means to, to be tested in battle, to show something that is reliable, that is, um, is readily uh, a watchman that is effective, that you would approve things that are excellent. And excellent basically means what we think it means. That we would showcase the glories that only our Father has. And that we would be sincere. That means to have the light shine upon or through us. And that this would be without offense any way that we could lead anybody into sin or failure. And boy, again, we need, we need that as well because in these days there's so much deception. You know, the God of this world tries to blind the minds of people. And the, the enemy is deceiving many. The love of many wax cold, the Bible says. And we we need that clarity of of our presentation that the result of it would be excellence and that people would not be led into sin or into failure. This is really a watchword for the exact day we're in, in this year of prophecy. That we would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. The fruits of righteousness, the, the fruits that come through our walking according to the vision, obediently walking according to the vision and uh, the, the calling that God has given to us. Fruits, that fruits would come and that they wouldn't be pierced by the cares of this world and that they would remain unto the praise and glory of God. These are by Jesus Christ, so he's with us. He's laboring with us. So you've got that dichotomy of having all of these things. You're you're operating on behalf of divine perspective through the partnership of grace. You're welcoming an influx of agape. You're gaining knowledge from God. You are being expertly trained and advised. You are seeing the sincerity and the purity of excellence manifested by the things God leads you to do and say. You are 
not providing any measure of deception or places where people could fall into sin or error. You are seeing fruitfulness come. You're working with Jesus. And the result is that he is praised for what's coming and the, the signs of his glory and partnership with you are all around. But then Paul says this, I don't want you to be troubled by anything that might fall out <laughs> so that the furtherance of the gospel could be done. Uh, you understand this, that no matter how much you know, how close you are to him, how wonderful he is, whatever fruits are coming, the vastness of your perspective and insights into the word, those are cherished things. No matter how much God instructs you and warns you and directs you, there are still going to be things that God leads us into that we don't understand in the natural. It would seem that how in the world did this happen? I just don't get it. How did this fall out unto us? <laughs> Have you been there? Maybe some of you are there right now. But this is God. And it really is a wonderful thing. You know, if you go to conferences and you uh, apply to different schools, they're going to maybe talk to you, maybe talk to you about the first part of this message, but then they're just going to eliminate the prospect of things falling out unto you. Because if you do all these things, you are going to have exactly what you want. If you do this and this and this and this, you're going to make the dream God gave you come true. If you do and say and declare these things, it's got, got to be. It's got to be. Man, I've been around long enough to know that ain't nothing got to be except for the love of God, our partnership with him, and our trust in him. That has to be. The pathway is still God's. And, you know, it reminds me of that anecdote that Lincoln was said to have used where he was talking about when he was at one time a surveyor and he had a compass and he said the compass can point you to the direction you want to go, but it gives no advice as to the valleys and the rivers that must be crossed or the inclines that must be overcome. And God is wonderful about being with you as, as El Shaddai and walking with you in the direction that he has guided you toward. But faith is still going to be faith. And you are going to have to fight the good fight. And you're going to have to overcome. And those things very often fall out. When we first began this calling, I had an idea of, with exuberance, as to how God was going to do the things that he promised. And guess what? 
He's done so many of those things in ways that are beyond what I ever thought or dreamed. But the way he's done it, (laughs) for the the most part, I never saw coming. And in a way, that's been a blessing to me because if I had known some of the things God was going to lead us walk through, lead us to walk through, I'm sure I would have still done it, but it would have taken away the romance and it would have taken away my exuberance and it was it would have taken away maybe my willingness to go down some of those pathways. I don't know. I don't know. So on this day, at the be- truly still at the beginning of this new year, I, pr- I ask that God would cause us to continue to walk in the partnership of grace. I ask that God would help us to be uh, endued with heightened measures of his agape, that we would learn and grow in the knowledge of him, and that we would gain veteran-like insights uh, concerning things that God will be putting us, uh, causing us to face. And I ask that we would be without offense and that we would do things that would yield excellence and that the fruits of righteousness would come and abide and remain. And I ask that we would have the resiliency and the trust with all of those things happening to recognize that God is still God and things don't always turn out the way we think they would. But even in those moments, here's another principle that we've learned. When that thing happens and we're tempted to cry out, why, Lord, which we don't, God works a greater demonstration of his glory and miraculous power than had we gone continuing down the road that we charted for ourselves. So yeah, I think that there are a lot of things going on in our nation and the world today that we don't understand. I don't need to elaborate them. You've got a whole list of them. But God is in control. And he's going to work those things for the good. Romans 8, 28. And it's going to be for the furtherance of the gospel. I declare that over all of us. I declare it over my life and over yours. And I continue to proclaim the blood of Jesus as your covering. I ask that those of you who are facing difficult circumstances right now, maybe you need a healing in your body, maybe you need some kind of provision, Maybe you need the Lord to just come and lift off uh, something that has been there for too long. I ask that the blood of Jesus would be upon you and that his power and majesty would manifest themselves in your life right now in Jesus' name. And as our nation steps forward, this is being broadcast just a little before the inauguration in Washington, D.C. May God bless America and may these days yield 
the greatest visitation of the Spirit of God that this North American continent has ever known. We proclaim that. And I'm going to ask you, as I said, I threatened to do it, and good Lord, I actually did it. We're finished early. I'm going to ask you to pray. If you're hearing this when it's being put up initially, like right now it's uh, 20 minutes till 12, let's pray through this inauguration and let's believe God that whatever is happening in our country, God is going to cause it to be for the furtherance of the gospel and our message given to us by him. And may God bless America. May God bless our outgoing president and the new administration. May God bless. And I thank you for listening. If we can, let's pray. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye.